Welcome to the podcast of Grace Crossing Church, where life and faith intersect. So, so good to see everybody again today. Beautiful day. Oh my goodness. Uh, this weekend, you just, we're like two months in advance, aren't we? This is like a July weekend, which is okay, because the last few weeks we've had some January weekends, right? So we're due, we're due. Uh, so good to see everybody, especially those of you who are tuning in online today. And I always enjoy coming to be with uh, this family. If you are watching online, maybe for the first or second time, you've not been here yet, let me just wholeheartedly encourage you. Uh, You've got some incredibly friendly people who would love to see you. If you're ever inclined to come this way, if you live in this area, what a great church uh, to be able to call your home church. We need each other. And uh, it's, it's so good to see you all today. If you are uh, watching online, I encourage you, if you can, to, to maybe highlight the address and save this for later there on your screen. You might want to send this link maybe to a friend of the Holy Spirit leads you that way because today we're going to end the series, as Pastor Gill said, uh, on resting in the mystery. And we're going to tackle an interesting topic that, that isn't really at the top of our list sometimes in terms of feel good, uh, but it's the topic of conflict. Um, conflict, especially between brothers and sisters in the Lord, people who have the same God, the same Savior. And it, it comes as a surprise sometimes uh, to people who are part of the body of Christ that there can be conflict and disagreements. And so I'm not going to talk today about another area of significant conflict, and that is sometimes disagreements and tensions and conflicts we have with people who do not claim Jesus as Savior. Of course, uh, that's a lifelong uh, goal and responsibility of the church to go into all the world and preach the good news and call people to repentance, but it's a different story when it's someone that you work with on a daily basis, someone you might live with uh, uh, in your home or a relative that, that you're close with, and, and there's a conflict perhaps about their, their lifestyle or their choices or their behaviors, and, and we're, that's so critical. And as we were praising the Lord, as Gil said a few moments ago, we're continuing living out the Easter power, uh, the resurrection power. God answers prayer. A lot of us are in this room, if not all of us, because of somebody's prayers to, to just continue to believe for God to work. But we're not going to get into that topic today. However, that's really critical. And so I just thought I'd mention really quick, there's a book. Um, I know the author of this book. Um, her name is Peggy, and she's a Catholic believer. She loves Jesus. Her faith in Jesus is so strong. And she wrote a book called The Love Approach. And you might Google that if you're interested. What a great resource for tackling tough conflict topics with people who don't necessarily know Jesus. And so it doesn't matter what the issue might be that they're living with or that they've espoused or that's troubling them. Uh, It's a great resource on how to tackle that topic, especially if they don't have Jesus as their frame of reference. And so I encourage you with that. But today, I want to look to a key verse of Matthew chapter 18. I'm sure many of you can quote this by heart or or you already have, have maybe even taught on this before or have done some studies on it. It's probably the quintessential passage in the New Testament uh, coming from the mouth of Jesus uh, to how we should handle offenses. And, and it's important that we understand this is, A, first of all, Jesus uh, talking before the cross. And so he is still operating in the context of Jewish believers. 
And before the cross, uh, sacrifices and, and going to your priest and all that was still a part of God's equation uh, as it had been for centuries. And so he's talking in that context pre-Calvary and he's also talking about sins, all right? So if you, you can scour the New Testament from front to back, you will not find a gift of the Holy Spirit called being easily offended. That is a shock to some people, but it's not a gift to be easily offended. And so he's talking here, not about everything that upsets you, but about a sin, about a major offense, all right? However, this prescription that he gives really is genius. It works with people who aren't even believers. It's great, great strategy on how to resolve a conflict. And it works even in areas that are not necessarily sin, right? So Jesus, I think every single long-term principle, whether it's in business or leadership, if it works, like you might say extortion works in the short term, yeah, there's some short-term profit, that's not a long-term plan. If there's a long-term plan for success that works and it's ethical, you can trace it back to Jesus. You really can. He does not get credit for all the books that have been written based on teachings that, that he espoused. And here's one of them. It's Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 17. If another believer sins against you, what are we talking there? A believer, right? So if another believer, so again, understand the context. If you're a believer and there's another believer and they sin against you, go immediately to Facebook and let the whole world, no, no, I'm sorry. Oh, that's interesting. Okay, this says go privately. <laughs> wow, okay. All right, go privately and point out that offense. I'm gonna drop the mic, we're just gonna go home. Right there, I mean, that's, that's good enough, right there, all right? Brother, that offends me. All right. Um, <laughs> all right, here we go. If the other person, if, right, if the other person listens and confesses it, you have won that person back. Praise the Lord. But if you're unsuccessful, then take one or two others with you and go back again so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three judges. Oh, no, that's not what it says two or three witnesses, all right? You're not bringing people to advocate for you or to tell that person what a schmuck they are. You're bringing people to serve as witnesses. So later on, if this thing continues, uh, you have some witnesses who could vouch for the fact that you did this the right way. You have witnesses who could vouch for the fact that this person was addressed. I mean, because you see what Jesus is doing here, this is genius. He's creating a scenario that's going to dramatically raise the likelihood that this person will get it, that they won't just dismiss it. They now know, okay, this is serious. Maybe they should have caught it the first time, but now, now there's really a choice to be made and they cannot then a month from now or a year from now come back and say, well, you never say anything about it. Well, no, I've got witnesses, right? Two or three witnesses. If the person still refuses to listen, then take your case to the church, the larger body, whatever your context might be there. And ultimately, if they won't accept the church's decision, you would believe by that point we're talking about the elders, the leaders of the church, spiritual people, then treat that person as a pagan or a corrupt tax collector. Now, I wanna get into several examples of what Jesus was talking about here to, to encourage you today, but let's, let's not forget what Jesus just said. He didn't say, if they don't receive you, if they don't turn around, you know, treat them like the scum of the earth. He said, treat them like a tax collector. Well, what did Jesus do with tax collectors, right? He was friendly towards tax collectors, right? He, he did it like, 
disown them and never have anything to do with them. But what we're doing, what Jesus is making clear here is make sure that person knows you cannot fellowship with them like a believer. You've got to get their attention. As difficult as it might be, you've got to do something after these efforts to let them know this is not okay. Now, I'm always going to love you. If you need help, I'm always going to help you. I'm not going to be mean towards you. But if you're used to you and me uh, being like brothers and sisters in the Lord, then that's not, that's not going to happen anymore because we can't. You, there's, there's this rift between us. We've got witnesses and multiple people who are trying to get your attention. This really needs to be addressed. And so it's a very loving thing to do, right? It's up to the Lord ultimately, but what this person is risking potentially could be their eternal consequence. If they continue walking around in sin, you're doing an incredibly loving thing by bringing this to their attention. And there, of course, there are some exceptions, right? There's some, there's some nuance to this. We would not expect a, a minor. We would not expect someone with very little power, whatever the structure is, to go confront their abuser all by themselves, right? We wouldn't expect them necessarily to, to have to be right there involved. There's, there's some exceptions or some flavors or nuances in every single case, but this is a, a tremendously wise general approach to take. And so why do we talk about this in the context of a mystery today? Well, because it is a mystery that something so unfun, in fact, a topic that's, that's really sensitive to some people and or an experience that just hurts so bad, it's a mystery that gets solved by Easter when we talk about grace so free a few moments ago, washing over me, right? It's a mystery that something so distasteful could become so beautiful. That's how something so ugly and so unpleasant under the anointing of the power of the Holy Spirit, the resurrection power of Jesus can turn into something that not only heals the wounds, but as we'll see in some of these examples in the New Testament, it moves people forward. It moves the church forward. And that is counterintuitive to what what people without a biblical understanding or a relationship with Jesus might understand. Is it a mystery to some people that, that people who serve Jesus, who claim allegiance to God's word could actually cause an offense? That's hard for some people to take, but it's true. It's true. As long as we're on this planet, as long as we're still breathing, there's great potential for me to cause somebody an offense. I don't want to do it. I shouldn't do it, but we shouldn't be surprised. Jesus is telling us, don't be surprised. Believers are going to offend you. You are going to offend other believers. Secondly, we can misunderstand what a believer says or does. We're going to look at that today. Some of the conflicts, which is such a crying shame, some of the conflicts that we go through is not really because person A said something or did something really evil to person B, it was that maybe person B didn't understand what was actually said or done. They didn't understand the motive. And if they understood a little better, or maybe person A said or did what they did because they had a misunderstanding. It's been known to happen, right? Which is all the more reason why Jesus approached, go directly to that person first is so wise. Because so much of conflict is a misunderstanding. It's happened to me so many times, I cannot, I don't even remember all of them. So many times people have come up to me later on and apologized for something that they had said or done. 
And in those moments, you know, you've been there before, I realize this is like really serious to them. So if I tell them, oh, I never even noticed that you did that, that might actually be a harmful thing to say because that will convey to them that I wasn't paying attention. So, you know, but I am caught off guard. I mean, I just, I'm so thankful that people take this advice to heart because that way it leaves no room for the shadows. And so when we go to that person immediately, then we remove a real potential roadblock for healing when we don't go to somebody directly. Because here's what human nature will do. When, when we do get offended, when someone does say something that hurts our feelings or they sin against us, there's a tendency to want to go tell somebody because it hurts so bad. You can't believe that they said that. And so we go tell somebody, we go tell somebody else, and, and you know what happens? We, we typically pick the people, I'll, I'll say I typically pick the people, for that puts you at ease. I typically pick the, pick the people to tell who I know are going to console me. And they'll come along and pat my back and say, John, you're not that bad. I, I, what do you mean not that bad? Yeah, yeah you're, John, no, you, no, you didn't mean, are you, I can't believe that they thought that's what you said, that's what you meant. And, and that feels so good when they start to pat me on my shoulder. And, yeah, I am a good person. Oh, scratch right here, which, oh, that feels so good. That's, that's why, because we're so, we're so shocked sometimes when people offend us or say something, we, we go in a way that's going to make us feel better because this feels so bad. I want to I have this bad feeling of being offended go away. And so we go to people, sometimes with good intentions, who we know are going to make us feel better. But here's the problem. We have now entered people into this story who had no business being there. And so what could have been a really quick fix, you know, did you say that? And, and you know, if you did, I'm having a hard time because that kind of offends me and I don't feel like that's right. Oh, did I say that? I am so sorry. Or, no, uh, I, yeah, I said that. Here's what I meant. Oh, or no, they told you I said, I did not say that. Or I said that because I thought this information, are you telling me that's not true? <gasps> that's not true? I am so sorry. All those possibilities can happen when we go directly to the person. But when we involve another person, now it's not just that, but now it's you told them and you told them. Well, now everybody thinks, and it just complicates tenfold that sweet opportunity, just nip it in the bud, according to Barney Five. Let's just get this thing fixed right here. So much wisdom there. Another mystery with conflict is our own forgiveness is impacted by our willingness to forgive others. That is a mystery to people, but that's what, that's what Jesus said. After we uh, read the Lord's Prayer, several passages, Jesus says, your forgiveness, as you forgive other people, so the Lord will forgive you. We ought to be very motivated to solve these conflicts, especially the offenses, and forgive others. I mean, that's kind of where I live. I, I offend Jesus too often. I sin too often. And it's, it's, a, it's a thing I hate to say, but it's the truth. However, that motivates me to not hold grudges. I, I can't hold a grudge. Are you kidding? As much as I sin and I don't want to sin, the sin that I do, I don't want to do, but whatever sin I do, I want it to be forgiven. And so therefore, it's highly motivating for me to forgive others because I want to be forgiven. 
And, and sometimes these offenses are not a laughing matter and they're not misunderstandings. And it really was evil and it really was harmful. It caused a lot of ripples effect that, that lasted not just for months or days, it lasted years. Nonetheless, we wanna be forgiven. It's highly motivating then for us to, to be willing to forgive others. Now forgive does not equate to going back to the way things were. I hope you understand that today. Uh, We're not talking about somebody seriously offended you or repetitively hurt you and your family. We're not talking about putting yourself in a situation where they're gonna do it all over again, where there's wisdom there, but forgiveness, that's something we want to freely offer. And it's a mystery, but it's true. It directly impacts our forgiveness, the, the ability, the decision, whatever God's economy is to usher forgiveness to us based on how we respond to the offenses of others. Relationships can be stronger after fractures are healed. That's a mystery, but it's the truth. I saw our friend here today, our, I'm sorry, I don't know your first name, but with the yellow sweater who led in worship. And I've, as I've been coming these months, uh, there was a boot, there was a surgery, there was something. And there you are right there. Sorry, I'm sorry, your first name? Tiffany. And uh, you know, you've seen Tiffany. She's been nursing this foot. And what did you do yesterday, Tiffany? Ran a 5K. How about that? How about that? Praise the Lord. Relationships, just like our body, can become stronger after fractures are healed. I think I shared here before about my son who had a, a football injury. Twice the forearm was broken, and the second time it broke in a different spot, a thicker part of the bone. It should have broken down here, but that's where the first break was. And so when they went in for the x-ray a year later for the second break, both football-related, the orthopedic surgeon just kind of smiled at his handiwork when he saw the x-ray. He said, because he could see the calcification, this bone from the first break had been set so perfectly, it was now stronger, even though it's a thinner part of the bone than the thicker part. And so he was kind of proud of himself when he saw that second break. <laughs> it's, it's true in the body physically, and it's true in the body spiritually. They can, we can be stronger after we get through some of these fractures. And finally, our testimony as a church can be effective as a result, more effective as a result of conflicts. It's not that like we walk around like Paul said, should we sin so that grace may abound? No. Should we offend people and be offended so that we, no, we shouldn't do it on purpose. But the good news is, is that Jesus said in John chapter 17, if you and I become one, if we're unified, if we, if we get healing amongst us, if we're one body, then the world will know who Jesus is. The world will know that God sent Jesus as their savior. So it's pretty encouraging to think about what can happen when you and I continually strive to keep ourselves unified, to work through those offenses and those fractures because there's so much at stake. So with that, let me just give you four quick examples as we go through some New Testament stories. There's one story about the conflict of disrespect that happened in Acts chapter six. There were some widows who were feeling disrespected by the disciples, by Peter, James, and John, and the others. Acts chapter six, verse one. As the believers rapidly multiplied, there were rumblings of discontent. 
And as you read on in this passage, the widows who were from a Greek culture or Hellenistic background, they were Jews, but their ancestors had been, had, had been raised and lived in Greek territories. And so they still had a lot of that culture. And it was apparently very evident in the church, the difference between those from a Hebrew culture and those from a Greek or Hellenistic culture. And those from the Greek culture were feeling disrespected by Peter and James and the other Jewish disciples because they didn't feel like they were getting the same treatment and their relatives felt that. And so there were rumblings. And, and so what did they do? They did something extraordinary, which is a great model for us today. They said, you know what? We want to listen and we want to make sure this gospel message is so critical. We can't, we can't possibly avoid addressing this. We've got to make sure we are unified as the body of Christ. And so the Jewish leaders in that church did something, Jewish Christian leaders did something very extraordinary. They appointed seven replacements for them and all seven of them were from the Greek culture. Names like Steve and Nicanor and Philip that tells us they were from the Hellenistic side of the body of Christ. All seven of them were from the culture that was feeling disrespected and something very powerful happened. When they did that, of course, those families who were concerned felt heard. They didn't feel ignored anymore and it brought the body together. But even more importantly, perhaps, Peter and James and John said, oh my goodness, we have more time now. We can pray more. We can preach the gospel more. And as a result of that unity and of that expansion of the gospel message, as you read on in Acts chapter six, we get to verse seven. So God's message continued to spread. The number of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem. And here's the booyah. Many of the Jewish priests, the enemies of the church, many of the Jewish priests were converted to exhibit A, for if you and I will be unified, the world will know who Jesus is. Isn't that powerful right there? So because they took that, that extraordinary mes uh, measure to demonstrate that offenses were heard, we're, going to, we're not going to just skim over this, we're going to address it. A beautiful, powerful thing happened because of the conflict over some disrespect. Secondly, there was some conflict about disagreements. This is a pretty famous one in Acts chapter 15. So Paul, who used to be Saul, uh, he is now a leading Christian preacher, a missionary. They've already taken a missionary journey with Barnabas. They're getting ready for another missionary journey. And Barnabas said something very simple, it looks like to us in Acts chapter 15, verse 37, 38. Barnabas agreed about going on the trip and he wanted to take along John Mark. But Paul disagreed strongly. Paul did not want John Mark to go on this trip. Uh, some of the things that Bible scholars will point out to is that Mark had left them on a previous journey. He didn't go all the way with them. And so you can kind of read between the lines there that Paul is thinking, huh, uh burn me once, okay. Burn me twice, no way. And he did not want to take Mark. Can you imagine how, you know, not just the geography and the challenge of traveling back then, let alone traveling with such a dangerous message. This was serious. They were going to territories where Christians would get persecuted. And, and we see Paul himself almost came close to dying several times. So he knew what he was talking about. And it kind of makes sense from Paul's angle. No, no, I mean, God bless him, but we're not taking, I can't have a key person on my team go with me this time and back out too. Thank God for people like Paul with discernment who understand you gotta be smart. 
Oh, but thank God for people like Barnabas who want to give somebody a second chance. Come on, Paul. You can imagine Barnabas like, <clears throat> Paul, do I need to tell you <laughs> about how I helped you when you were just getting going? He didn't, we don't read that here. But you can tell Barnabas has this encouraging spirit and he, he feels like we ought to give Mark another chance. So was Paul right and Barnabas was wrong? Or was Barnabas right and Paul was wrong? Well, wisely, there's a mystery there. <laughs> and preachers will disagree and scholars, we are not gonna know until heaven ultimately who was right and who was wrong. And maybe neither of them was wrong. Maybe it's possible that two Christians are neither right nor wrong, they just don't agree. They just feel like I need to do this and I need to do that. And you know what? If I were pushed for an answer, that's kind of what I would think. I see merit to both sides of the coin. And here's what I love. So Barnabas did go ahead and he went back to a place that they'd already been before. And it's interesting, if you read other scriptures, Barnabas was actually related to Mark. And the place they went to, Cyprus, was where uh, they were from. And so does it make sense that Barnabas would take Mark and go back to a familiar territory, maybe see some family members and encourage Mark? Quite possibly. But Paul took the opposite approach. New territory, man, let's go, let's go, let's go. He took Silas and off they went and, and, and both things worked out. Both trips were blessed. Uh, if Paul had not gone where he went, we wouldn't maybe read the books of Ephesians today. And Philippians, because those are the places that Paul went on that journey without Barnabas and Mark. But here's what I love in 2 Timothy chapter 4. Uh, we read Paul writing this book to Timothy. And look what old Paul says years later after all of this disagreement. He says to Timothy, and, and Timothy, bring Mark with you when you come, for he will be helpful to me in my ministry. Well, well, well. Mark will be helpful to me in my ministry. That tells us that Christian conflict not only can be helpful and that we can get it beyond it, but sometimes the answer is not necessarily to have one believer or the other change their mind. Sometimes the good thing is for both people to do what God is leading them to do, and that's okay. We don't see that Paul was disrespectful to Barnabas in any way. In fact, in another New Testament book, years later, we see Paul honoring Barnabas. So there is no evidence, while that was a heated argument, there's no evidence that not either Barnabas or Paul took that as an offense and began to disassociate and speak down about the other. That's not the case. They just said, you know what? We don't see eye to eye. God bless you. God bless me. And years later, here's what we see, the evidence of a disagreement being navigated without things falling apart or becoming bitter. A third example is a conflict over disobedience. This is a fun one because you have to have two books uh, to see it. It's Acts chapter 15, and it's also Galatians 2, and it's 1 Peter 1. The context comes from Acts chapter 15, but let me uh, point to Galatians chapter 2 to see the, the conflict. This is Paul writing, and he said, when Peter came to be with us in Antioch, I had to oppose Peter to his face for what he did was very wrong. Ouch. Wow. Now, again, it's context here. Understand Paul is not blaspheming Peter to the world. Paul is writing this letter to the Galatians, to the believers in Galatia, 
So he's having a conversation with other believers and he's telling them what he already told Peter. I will tell you right now, I am privately having conversations with another Christian who has a knack for publicly on social media ridiculing other Christians and other Christian organizations. And so I want to go onto the social media page and I want to say, how dare you, da, 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 da. But I realize if I did that, I would be guilty of what I'm, I'm concerned about. And so I'm handling this disagreement off the grid because I don't want to let non-believers see what a, I don't want to heighten or shine the spotlight on what a believer is doing because this one believer is ridiculing other believers and that's not healthy. And, and so I think it's really important that we're careful to understand the impact when we see people going negative, believers. I don't know of a single believer, do you, who has no friends on Facebook who are not believers? I mean, shame on us if that's the case, right? We, got it. we need to have non-believers in our circles. And then secondly, anything on social media can go to the whole wide world anyways, right? So we gotta be careful with that. And so Paul did not do that. When you, read, when you read in the New Testament about believers confronting other believers or saying some things that sound critical, understand the context. They are not doing this in front of the world. They're writing a letter. They're speaking directly to people who they believe are uh, saints, people who are born again, who are following Jesus. So what is Paul talking about? Why did he have to oppose Peter? Because he can't believe it. I won't go there today, but when you read Acts chapter 15, you get the whole context. I mean, Paul's like, Peter, you, what are you doing? Here's the conflict. Peter had helped to lead the church in addressing this error of the Judaizers, these, these Christians who were still heavily involved in Judaism, and they were demanding and preaching and pressuring Gentiles Gentile men, you're not really saved unless you become circumcised like, like all of us Jews. And so Peter and Paul were both there and they both represented the church and going to say, no, that is wrong, that's an error. Gentiles, it's Jesus, it's the cross, that's all you need. And Peter was leading the charge. And so now here they are after that and Peter is influenced, he is getting, he's succumbing to peer pressure. He is in Antioch, a Gentile territory, and there's Gentile Christians there, and Peter is jucking it up with them. He's having meals with them, they're fellowshipping, and these Judaizers, they were just bullies. They came into town, and all of a sudden, Peter and Barnabas, they start withdrawing from the Gentiles because they can tell that these Judaizers are looking at them, and they're making Peter and Barnabas and the other Jewish Christians feel guilty feel like they're, they're wrong for associating with these Gentile Christians. And so Paul said, I saw that and I had to rebuke Peter and Barnabas, all of them in front of the Christians there to say, look, we already established this. You cannot, you cannot pressure or disassociate from Gentiles who aren't circumcised. It's Jesus. That's, that all, that's all that matters. So when Paul told us later, told the Galatians, and now us, what he had done, he wasn't outing Peter. He'd already talked to Peter about that. And we know that it worked because of what we read in 1 Peter chapter 1. I love this. 1 Peter chapter 1. Now, years later, here is Peter, who has an established ministry now. The bulk of his ministry in his later years was among whom? The Gentiles. His relationship was healthy. He was confronted 
and it probably wised him up. And here we are years later seeing that he is widely accepted and that's his focus are the Gentile Christians. And how do we know that? Verse one, for example, this letter is from Peter, an apostle of Jesus. I'm writing to God's chosen people who are living as foreigners in the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, all Gentile territories. Peter was confronted. I'm sure that was not fun, but it was so helpful, not only for Peter, but also for the Gentiles who knew this issue is getting solved. We are not gonna be pressured to respond to what the Judaizers are telling us to do. Disobedience needs confrontation. It needs, needs that tension of Christian conflict and it is worth it. Can you imagine how many millions of Gentiles? Have you guys ever seen a Gentile? I have, I've seen a few of them. Have you, have you met some? Probably like everybody here today. So all of us who are not of Jewish ancestry, thank God for this conflict. Thank God that that, that error was forever uh, put to bed because Paul had the confidence and the responsibility to make sure he confronted Peter as challenging as I'm sure that was. And then finally, I call it the conflict of disconnection. Some godly people, a husband and wife, Priscilla and her husband Aquila, we read about them in Acts chapter 18. We read about them in several New Testament books. They were godly people. Uh, Paul loved them. They were, they were leaders in the church. And they found a new preacher. They happened to be in the same town. And they heard this preacher, Apollos. And, and Apollos was just tearing up. He was preaching Jesus. He was winning converts, the Jews, when he would explain the scriptures about Jesus, that they would just get converted. So it was amazing. But in verse 25 of Acts chapter 18, uh, Aquila and Priscilla discerned something. However, Apollos knew only about John's baptism. So when Priscilla and Aquila heard him preaching boldly in the Jewish synagogue, they, they took him aside. I think the NIV says they took him into their home and explained the way of God even more accurately. Apollos was a precursor to what we read in the next chapter in Ephesus. In Acts chapter 19, Paul went to Ephesus and he found some Christians and it was just like Apollos. They had only heard about water baptism. They had not heard about Holy Spirit baptism. And so in Acts chapter 19, Paul is talking to these Christians in Ephesians, in Ephesus and we've only heard about John's baptism. And so he says, oh no, there's, a, there's another baptism. And he laid his hands on them and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They began to speak in tongues. And Apollos had the same disconnect. He'd heard part of the gospel, but he hadn't heard the whole message. And so Aquila and Priscilla did not go to Facebook. They didn't call Apollos a heretic, right? They privately took him aside. They were very gentle with him, but they knew as a preacher of the gospel, he needed to know the full truth. He needed to be connected to the fullness of God's plan. And here's what we read again years later in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1. Here is Paul talking about Apollos as he did numerous times in his writings. He said, so look at Apollos and me as mere servants of Christ who've been put in charge of explaining God's mysteries. Apollos not only survived that confrontation, that private appointment with Aquila and Priscilla, but he thrived. 
As a result of it, Paul had to say in other passages, look, I know you all, there's a whole group of people who were following Apollos. In fact, they were calling themselves, we are disciples of Apollos. And Paul was saying, look, some of you call yourselves disciples of me. Look, it's not about Peter or Paul or Apollos, it's about Jesus. But that gives you evidence that Apollos continued to rise through the ranks of influence, so much so that he was on the same playing field in the eyes of many disciples as Peter and Paul. This private, thoughtful, respectful conversation that Priscilla and Aquila had with him helped this disconnected Christian to get more fully connected, not only into doctrine, but into the life and ministry and fellowship of the church. What a great example for us of ways that we can take the teachings of Jesus and make sure that the conflict that the enemy wants to remain. Oh, he's disconnected. Oh, they're disobedient. You you can't work with them, right? No, tackle it. Be bold enough to, to lovingly, if the Spirit's leading you, have that conversation, do it respectfully, but do it, have it. So I said earlier, if you're watching on, online or if you leave here today, maybe this is a, a Holy Spirit prompting from, you, from, from God that you can send this link to somebody, a Christian friend, and say, hey, can we talk? Man, I love you. And, and things just, not horrible perhaps, just they're not as good as they can be. And, and I want the fullness of God's power in your life the fullness of God's forgiveness in my life, and most importantly, we need to be unified so we can see more and more people, like Acts chapter six, added to the church, and even the people right now that we would call enemies, people that we would call who are abusive or just so hard toward the Christian message, that's what's at stake when you and I resolve conflicts led by the Holy Spirit. Would you pray with me today? Father, thank you for, the place that I'm in today, I just want to say personally thank you because you love me so much. You, you don't just leave me to continue to waller or to wander in areas of offense or areas of disconnection. Lord, you've been so gracious over the years to bring people into my life who carefully, carefully brought the gospel my way. So God, I thank you today for your goodness, and we pray in Jesus' name that you will use the power of the gospel, the resurrection power in and through us to be agents of healing, agents of forgiveness, so that we stand before you clean, and so that the world, so that Dayton and Beaver Creek and Ohio understands that you sent Jesus as their savior and their healer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you to Pastor John for leading us this morning. Amen. Let me tell you, it takes a lot of courage to move into the topic like this, especially in the church, because many of us think that being part of a church means that there is no conflict. There are people that have been hurt because of a church situation because they were shocked that they went to a church and then had to face conflict. Let me say this, and I've said this to people in the past. If you have a relationship with no conflict, you don't have a relationship. You have an illusion. Because you cannot have a relationship with with someone and there not be levels of conflict that you have to deal with. You can ignore them, but that's not a relationship. And what 
what John shared with us today is really an outflow of what we talk about here at Grace Crossing Church, that we see a church filled with, with emotionally healthy people, emotionally healthy believers, right, who are fully surrendered. And part of being emotionally healthy is doing what Jesus did and doing what the apostles did. It is disrupting false peace. Sometimes we live in relationship with a false sense of peace. There's not true peace, but because we ignore issues, because we won't talk about them, we have what we would call false peace. And to be emotionally healthy means that sometimes you've got to move in and disrupt that to bring about true peace, to get to the kind of peace that Jesus talked about. And that is his heart for us. And so as we think about this topic today, let's be reminded that it's going to take some courage to have that difficult conversation with somebody who has offended you. And remember, this is in the context of sin. This is not in the context of something that is simply an offense that we bring to God. We pray and God gives us forgiveness in our heart and we can live, we can handle what happened because we see it as something was not intended. Sin is much more intentional. Many times there is much more a sinister uh, purpose and motive behind it. And, we, and there's a discernment in that, isn't there, that we need to pray and invite God into. So the goal today is not to feel empowered to walk out of here and go have a, a conflict conversation with everybody in your life who has ever offended you, okay? But we are talking believer to believer that if there is a sin, that we respond to it. And we need God's grace and we need God's help to do that. So would you stand up with me this morning as we close and we pray? And I just want to pray that God will help this uh, topic that might feel really hard for us today to know what to do with it. I think what we do with it is we pray and we ask God for discernment of, Lord, what is the message for me today? Is there something, am I keeping someone at arm's length who's a believer because I've not been willing to have that difficult talk with them? Is there, is, there, is there distance in our relationship that is unnecessary? Or have I gone to others that I should not have gone to? And I really need to ask you, Lord, to forgive me for that. And I need to ask the person to forgive me for that. There's a lot. This is a very, very um, rich topic. It's got a lot of layers to it. And we need God's grace. So, Father, today we just thank you for the challenge uh, that we've heard. This is a mystery but God, where John gave us four illustrations of conflict, there's really dozens and dozens more of areas that we have conflict in. And we, we really pray that you'll help us to be a church that models conflict well, that we can be a sign and wonder to the world, that Jesus is real, that we are one, and that, Lord, we have dealt with uh, these issues in a God-honoring manner. We pray for your wisdom. We pray for your grace. We pray you'll give us forgiving hearts. We pray that you'll move us to a place where we no longer blame people for situations so that we then can go and in a healthy way have that conversation because we're not pointing the finger anymore. We're owning our own stuff in it, Lord, and we're, we're asking you to help us to grow through it. So we just pray that you'll give us wisdom, grace, and peace as we move into this. Thank you, Lord, for your wisdom today through Scripture, and thank you, Lord, for John bringing this really powerful, insightful message to us as we close out this series. We love you, we honor you, and we pray your blessing as we go today. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks for listening. 
To learn more about Grace Crossing Church, including service times and directions, check us out on the web at www.gracecrossingchurch.net. We hope to see you at one of our upcoming weekend worship gatherings. Have a great day.